It is a time for children this morning. I want to invite all our kids who are here to come up for our time together this morning. Good morning. How are y'all? Thank you for accoliting today. Good morning. Oh, it's good to be with you today. Come on up. Hi, Michael. Hi, Bentley. You want to come all the way down? Well, good morning. Hi, Charlie. Good morning. Well, it's good to be with you again. I've missed you guys. I brought something with me today. And um, I'm going to invite you to get one of these after children's time if you want. And one side of my paper here is a big old heart on it. And I put that on there because it reminds me of blessings. You know, me and some of the grown-ups in the church, we've been doing a Bible study about blessings. We've been reading some of the Bible stories where blessings are used a lot. One of them is the one you did in Sunday school today about Abram and Sarai. And we've looked at how blessing is used in the Bible. And you know what one of the things is that we've learned? When you tell somebody that they're a blessing, you're supposed to do something about it. You don't just tell them they're a blessing and then walk away like you're done, like you gave them a hug and now you're finished. You're supposed to do something about it that makes their life different, that makes their life be a blessing. And so that's why I brought the heart with me, because I was thinking about all that love, that we're not just supposed to tell people or say to people, but we're supposed to do stuff after we tell them that they're a blessing that just fills their heart and their life with good things. Because Jesus knew that children are blessings. But sometimes, people only see one side of kids. Look, I have two empty faces here. Sometimes people just see one thing. Like me, yeah, this one doesn't have any hair. So, like, I need to put my hair on it here. Yeah? You think so? Because maybe when people look at me or at you, that's what they see, right? And maybe, well, I don't have the color of my eyes here. I'll just make them this color. I'll put some eyes... Yeah, I'll put a nose. There we go. And maybe when they see me, maybe I'm doing this. Right? Mm-hmm. I think I need some more hair. That wasn't quite enough hair there. I look like I'm bald. There we go. Yeah. And Jesus knew. Jesus knew that children are blessings. But what people don't see is what's inside. Now, maybe sometimes inside you looks like that. What did I draw? Maybe sometimes inside you looks like this. But maybe something sad happened. Like maybe your dog died. Maybe something sad happened at school. And so maybe inside of you feels like that instead. Maybe your heart's a little broken. Yeah. Maybe sometimes inside of you is like this. Like there's so much light and you're so excited because it's your birthday or because you get to play with one of your good friends or maybe you just had a really good day. But maybe some days are more confusing or stormy. I don't know. Yeah, it does kind of look like a cloud, yeah. I don't know what's inside. I don't know what's inside. But I do know 
that you are a blessing. That you are a blessing. And here's what I'm going to invite you to do today. I know some of you wanted to get them before church, but you can go get them now, okay? After we pray. You can draw a picture of you. What do people see on the outside? And then, what's it like inside today? What is it like inside today? And after you do that, do you have a safe person that you can share that with? Maybe it's your mom. Maybe it's your dad. Maybe it's a teacher. Maybe it's me. Because we would love to see and talk to you about that and remind you that you're a blessing and help do things to make that happen every day. So, can let's remind each other that we're blessings as we pray. And as we say, Dear God, thank you for naming me a blessing, for loving me all the time, everywhere, inside, outside. We love you, Lord. Amen? Amen. Okay, the papers are right there in those boxes if you'd like to get one on the way back to your chair. Good morning. Today's scripture reading is taken from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Now I'm going to read all of chapter 4, verse 22, through chapter 5, verse 2. You were taught to put away former way of life, your old self corrupt and deluded by its lusts and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to clothe yourselves with the new self, created according to the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, And do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing rather than let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Amen.
When Pastor Valerie first asked me to give today's sermon, I must admit I had a little more than a little bit of trepidation. I'm not a biblical scholar by any means, and while I've done some public speaking, little of it was from a pulpit. But I accepted her request because I am passionate about the issue of domestic violence and because of what we can do what we can do to stop that violence. Allow me to begin with a prayer. Lord, this is a difficult topic, difficult to speak and difficult to hear. But please, Lord, guide the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart to be pleasing unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today is Purple Sunday. With it, we honor victims of domestic violence. We do this in October, Domestic Violence Awareness Month. We honor victims who have gone through the pains of domestic violence as well as those who continue to suffer. We come together to learn about this issue and to see what we can do to help families that are still embroiled with violence at home. In this service, we're fortunate, after the service, to also have an information desk that's available in the garden room. And it is staffed by people who understand something about this issue and understand ways in which people can be helped. So I encourage you to stop by that desk. Domestic violence needs a definition. It is different than marital discord. All couples, all families, from time to time, fight. And as the sermon text teaches us, being angry is not a sin. Speaking our mind with truth is not a sin. Rather, it says that the sin happens only when we allow the devil to take hold of our anger and we act in ways that are not compatible with God's intent. Domestic violence is a sin. It's not about anger. Domestic violence is rooted in the belief that one partner has the right to control the behavior of the other partner. The sin happens when the abuser uses intimidation, fear, verbal or physical assaults to direct the behavior of his or her victim. Now, before I want to move on, I want to acknowledge that although I'm going to be using the pronoun he when I refer to the batterer and she when I refer to victims, I know that not all victims are female and not all abusers are male. And while domestic violence happens far too often, I also know that most people are not abusive in their relationships. But please forgive me for simplifying the language by using these generalized pronouns, he and she. It's just, quite frankly, easier. Now, I had the good fortune to grow up in a loving home and marry a kind man who loves me as Christ loved his church. As a child, my mother was not that lucky. My grandmother, Grandma Key, 
was severely beaten throughout her marriage to my grandfather. The verbal, emotional, and physical assaults were repeated often. Over time, the abuse escalated to the point that my grandfather threw my grandmother against a wall, and he choked her to being almost unconscious. The violence there only ended when my mother, my aunts, and my uncles, then adults, helped my grandmother to buy and move into her own home. They literally hid her from my grandfather. Now, growing up, Grandma's house was right across the street from where I lived. She was a warm and wonderful Irish Catholic woman, and I saw her nearly every day. She loved God, she loved her church, she loved her family, and she loved the New York Mets. I didn't, but, you know, we spent a lot of time together. We talked often. I loved to watch her yell at the television when the Mets did something wrong or when the umpire talked meanly to the Mets. And even though I knew her so well, I never knew her story until I was an adult, and in fact, until I was working in a domestic violence shelter. You see, Grandma's shame was so great that she and all 11 of her children kept that family secret. I believe from what I've heard and been told that my grandmother loved my grandfather, despite the pain. She blamed herself for what she endured. Her voice and the voices of her children were silenced. Now, I assume you've heard the phrase, rule of thumb. Did you know where that expression comes from? It appears to have originated from English English common law, whereby a husband could beat his wife with a whip or a stick, provided that stick was no bigger in diameter than his thumb. Could it be, therefore, that with that rule of thumb, my grandfather had the right to whip my grandmother? Could it be that the church of the time condoned the violence because of a belief in the sanctity of marriage? If so, should I really be surprised that Grandma blamed herself into submission and into silence? Think about it. For the first 70 years of the 20th century, domestic violence had no name. There were no shelters. There wasn't a part of our nomenclature that dealt with this issue. Grandma had few options. My grandfather was a good provider. He was well-respected in the church and in his community. So where could Grandma go? I guess I understand that things were different in the 1920s through the 1950s when they were together. But today, I don't understand why our society continues to tolerate violence in the home. I don't understand why it's not clear that what happens to a victim of domestic violence isn't fair, it isn't just, and it isn't God's plan for us. 
You see, I believe as Christians that we're called to shatter the silence that surrounds domestic violence. I believe we're called to instead blanket victims with comfort and with safety. I believe we're called to hold batterers accountable for their actions in a way that allows God's redemptive power to lead them toward healing. And I believe that we are called to remove that unreasonable veil of shame. There are three facts that drive my belief. The first one, as in all good sermons, by the way, they have three points. That's this one. So the first one is that domestic violence is real. Now, I'm not going to dwell on statistics, but know that the American Medical Association has declared domestic violence an issue of epidemic proportions because of how many injuries occur and how many women are seen in the hospitals. In 2015, there were 158 women killed by their intimate partner in the state of Texas alone. And almost every year, annually, there are more than 175,000 calls that are made to hotlines of domestic violence shelters again, in the state of Texas alone. Yes, domestic violence is real, and it's all around us. It occurs regardless of family income, religious beliefs, education levels, race. It happens in all or in many types of household. Victims of domestic violence feel anguish like that of the psalmist that Sharon read today. Hear these similar words as though they were said by a victim of domestic violence, perhaps by my grandmother. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling overwhelm me. It's not my enemies that taunt me. I could bear that. It's not my adversaries who hurt me. I could hide from them. No, it is he, my partner, my trusted companion, my husband, with whom I have walked in the house of God. Could you feel the victim's anguish? It's common for abusers to isolate their victims from supportive networks. Many times he limits her access to family or to church. She can feel deafening isolation shame, and self-condemnation. The man she loves will one day give her roses and the next day assault her with degrading names or body blows. Domestic violence, yes, my friends, it's real, and it's devastating in all of its forms, be it emotional, verbal abuse, physical assault, financial constraints, or sexual abuse. Now, my second point. Domestic violence has no place in God's definition of love. Again, domestic violence is different than marital discord. Domestic violence is a pattern of behavior where one partner uses intimidation and forms of abuse to control the other partner. One partner is literally afraid 
afraid of what the abuser may do or will say. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. Brothers and sisters, it's simple. God's love for us and his expectation of love within a family does not include physical force, fear of reprisals, unreasonable financial constraints, or emotional coercion that's meant to control the loved one. God's definition of love is patient, it's kind, and it does not condone domestic violence. So now we know that domestic violence is real, and we know that it's not God's intent for love. So my third point is, I believe, as Christians, we are called to act. We are called to name the problem, to break the silence by speaking out for victims, and to reach out to friends and family members that might be embroiled in an abusive relationship. Reaching out is hard. Unfortunately, there are many ways, in fact, that our society continues to silence victims of domestic violence. Unintentionally, perhaps, we silence them because we want to believe that what happens behind closed doors is a private matter. Because we don't believe what they say, or we look the other way. Because we know the abuser, and we can't accept that he might be doing that. Because we view the victim as weak. Or because too often we only ask the question, why doesn't she leave? And in that, blame the victim for staying. Instead of asking the right question, why doesn't he stop? The sermon text from Ephesians chapter 4 in verses 23 to 25 call us to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to clothe ourselves with a new self created according to the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness. So then putting away all falsehood, let us speak the truth to our neighbors for we are members of one another. I want to believe as God's church, we can use our collective power to break the silence, beginning now. And so, I'm going to talk first to those of you who have been abused, who are afraid of being physically or emotionally hurt by a partner. We want you to know that God loves you. You are not alone And you are not the problem. There is nothing that you did to deserve this wrath. You are not too thin or too fat. Your house is not too messy. You are not too foolish. Dinner was not too late. Abuse in any form is not your cross to bear. You are a child of God who has the right to feel safe at home and throughout your world. Please break your silence. Talk to one of our pastors. Talk to the people at the information desk. Or pick up information. And when you're ready, make a call. Please know that we care about you. And now, 
even harder. I want to talk to those who may be here that may have used abusive abusive behaviors in a relationship. Please know that God loves you. Your partner loves you. But something is wrong. And that something is not about her or what she does. It's about you. Can you break your silence? Will you take the bravest step possible, admit that you have a problem, and find help? Abusive behaviors are learned lessons, often learned through our childhood. They can be unlearned, and help is available. It's provided over time. Follow Paul's call in Ephesians. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Please trust that God's redemptive power is within your reach. Grab hold. And now to all of us who suspect that someone we know may be a victim, please break the silence. Be willing to learn more. If you open a dialogue with a friend or a family member, let that person, let that victim know how much you care for her. If she needs time, give it to her. If she's afraid, believe her. If she's willing to take even one small step, walk with her. And most of all, be patient. She may not hear you the first time or even the second time. But know that you are planting seeds by affirming that abuse does not fit into God's definition of love. Yes, I believe as Christians we must not stay silent. Fortunately, our pastors shared sermons on domestic violence. I will tell you not all churches do. Even from within our conference, there are churches that don't allow this topic to be mentioned from the pulpit. We, however, can shatter the silence. There is so much that we can do to offer comfort, compassion, and support to those in need. If you are moved to help, stop by the information desk. We have a sign-up sheet to do simple things like donate a Thanksgiving turkey to a client from one of the agencies, from Hope Store New Beginning Center. And we have a wish list for specific things that they need in their emergency shelter. There are things we can all do. I thank you for listening to a difficult topic. Let us speak out and support all who suffer from violence in their home, be it wives and husbands, mothers and fathers, And, of course, children who see that sense of tension in the home. May we go forth imitating God's love and only God's love in all that we do. Amen.